but uh, it's an important passage that, that affects all of Scripture and, and uh, all of our lives. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Gracious Lord, we pray that you, your Spirit would come upon us, that we would understand what you have for us today, that these words would penetrate our, both our heart and our mind, that we would be mindful of what it is that you call us to do and how you call us to live, Lord, that we might give you glory in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now as we look at at where we are today... And as we look at this passage, I would uh, be sure to make, make certain that you do not think that I am equating the founding of Israel, which this passage starts with, as Abraham is the founding father of that nation, um, with the founding of the United States. Israel was a theocracy. God was their king. We are a republic. There are vast differences there. Uh, God purposely made a nation from Abram so that his sovereign plan would be worked out through them. Now, this country was formed, I believe, from a logical conclusion of some of the broader principles that are laid out for us here. Uh, Freedoms, successes, blessings, generosity, obedience to something that is beyond ourselves. I'm going to quote from some of the founding fathers, and and that was their view as well. John Adams wrote in uh, in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, He said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Now, if you read some of the early founding fathers uh, or presidents, you'll see that there's lots of talk of providence. And we looked at that uh, a few weeks ago and how they saw the hand of God in the formation of this nation. Now, we understand that some were, were deists. Thomas Jefferson was probably the, the most well-known of the deists, but many were believers and strong believers, and each one understood that the Lord is, is at work and he has a plan. And they saw what they were doing basically as a fulfillment of that. Now, they did not see America as the new Israel, but a continuation of what the Lord was doing in this world. Let me quote from James Monroe, the fifth president, in his uh, annual message to Congress. When we view the blessings with which our country has been favored, those which we now enjoy, and the means which we possess of handing them down unimpaired to our latest posterity, our attention is irresistibly drawn to the source from whence they flow. Let us then unite in offering our most grateful acknowledgments for those blessings to the divine author of all good. The divine author of all good. Now in America today, most of us, 
I think, still understand that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Therefore, they cannot be taken away by men. Those rights are given by our Creator and are not granted to us by anyone else. I may say, you have the right to come and cut my grass. Okay, that's very generous of me. Okay, but that's a right granted by men. There are rights that are granted by the Creator that our founding fathers recognized that could not be taken away by men. And I'll quote now from Thomas Jefferson in one of his uh, reviews of the state of Virginia. He said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever, that a revolution of the wheel of fortune, a change of situation, is among possible events, that it may become probable by supernatural influence. The Almighty has no attribute which can take sides with us in that event. What Jefferson is saying is that the Lord got us here. I'm summarizing. The Lord got us here. If we forget the Lord got us here, that his hand of providence was upon him, and veer from that and trust in our own, in, in my words, our own innate goodness, which is false, we will be in big trouble. Alex Tocqueville said, America is great because it is good. If it ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. Okay, now with that in mind, let's go to chapter 12 of Genesis and get a handle on what the Lord is doing here in Abram's life as the basis of a nation that he is going to build and a people that will flow out of him. Remember the promise, I will make your descendants, what, as numerous as stars in the sky, the stands on the beach, okay? And, and Abram, he believed that. And I'm jumping ahead into the places, so... So he said, well, maybe it's Lot, maybe it's my nephew. And the Lord said, no, it's not him. So uh, Sarah got in her mind, because they're both old, remember, they're both very old, beyond childbearing age, and, and uh, maybe Hagar's the one. And, and the Lord said, no, that's not the one. It would be you and Sarah, you and Sarah. And what did Sarah do? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Okay, I'm way too old to have children. But nothing was impossible with the Lord. The Lord wanted to make sure that both Abram and Sarah understood that it was his power that made that happen. And there we have Isaac. But the promise was descendants as many as the stars. So it took generations for that to come to fulfillment. And we see that Abraham is the father of several nations, obviously Israel, and then by extension uh, Christianity. And also we have through uh, Ishmael, we have the Arab nations and Islam there. And one cannot understand the Old and New Testaments without grasping who Abram is. And because, I mean, the genealogy of Christ goes back through him. Now the doctrines of grace and justification go back through Abram as well because we understand that there was nothing in Abram's life, nothing in Abram's heart that made him worthy of God picking him out of all of humanity as the one to start this start his people with, start his church with. Now it wasn't as if God is is up there and and there's the sun and the spirit and all the angels and they're all kind of sitting around at the at the conference table. And the Lord says, you know what, I just can't find anybody. 
I can't find anybody to, to build this nation that, that my plan is. And if, and if it, somebody doesn't, doesn't, doesn't show up who's got the stuff, you know, my whole plan is going to go down the drain. It wasn't as if he did that, and then all of a sudden somebody said, well, what about Abram? Have you seen him? He's pretty good. No, there was nothing in him that drew the Lord to him except the Lord's perfect plan. We know as we go through Abram's life, uh, he wasn't all that stellar as far as his moral fiber. He had some real weaknesses. Uh, he didn't trust the Lord. He lied about his wife a couple times, said, oh, she's my sister, just to save his own skin. So we see that there was nothing in Abram that drew the Lord. It was the Lord's perfect will. Turn back, if you're in Genesis 12, turn back a couple pages. Let's just be reminded of the, the nature of man's heart. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, this is just before the, the flood. This is the nature of man's heart here. Since then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay? The only thought was evil. And how often did he have that thought? Continually. Okay? Now flip over to Romans chapter 3. A large portion of Scripture is devoted to Abraham uh, and, and his descendants. Uh, only, only the things of Christ really uh, ex- exceed the number uh, of things written in the Word about an individual. Uh, he is the, the, the man whom God chose uh, with all the foibles and weaknesses that he had, but yet the Lord chose him to build his nation on. Again, just reminding us of what the, a person's heart is like, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throats an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. On and on and on. It paints a very bad picture of us. Okay? Now, it's not here that... God sees any good in us. He understands our character. He understands our nature, but yet he bestows his grace upon us anyway. Why? Because it is his good pleasure. Now, we see that Abraham was just like us. In fact, in Joshua uh, 24, it talks about uh, his family, that Abraham, at least the rest of his family, it doesn't mention Abraham specifically, but the rest of his family were idol worshipers. So he comes from a culture of worshiping idols, not worshiping the Lord. Now, he's from the line of, of Seth and, and Noah and those, so there's, there's godliness behind him. But his family in immediate context was from an adulterous context. Now, we look at Abram's descendants. Isaac had the same problem his dad did about lying about his wife. And we see that Jacob was a thief and his wife stole the household idols when they were running away from uh, from her father. So we see this, there's none of them perfect, but yet it is a great example of God's grace. Despite his unworthiness, God chose Abram to be the founder of this nation. Now, it was this man that God saw and this man that God chose. You had nothing in him to draw the Lord there. The Lord simply said, I am going to save this man. 
I'm going to build upon him. Whoever blesses this man, I will bless. Whoever curses this man, I will curse. I will curse. And to make this into a reality, we see that in Genesis 12, Abram had to leave his country, he had to leave his people, had to leave his father's house. Now that, that kind of grows in intensity. He had to leave his country, the land in which he was from. He had to leave his people, his culture, had to leave his father, the household in which he grew up, to follow the things of the Lord. Now, does this sound familiar for us? Luke chapter 9, if you would like to turn over there. This is uh, something that Christ calls us, calls upon us to do as well. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. says that the Son of Man has to suffer many things. The Son of Man will be rejected. Okay? And we have to be ready. If they hated Christ, they will hate us in the same fashion. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom. Now jump up to verse 60 over the next page. Or 58. And the Lord said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. He didn't actually, his father wasn't dead yet. Okay? When he says he wants to bury his dad, he wants to hang around until his dad passes away and he's get, he gets the inheritance of his father so that his worldly things are set and he has no care there. But Jesus answers him and says, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He says, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust in the worldly things or are you going to trust in me? My call for you is to go and proclaim the things of Christ. Jesus says to him in 62, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The Lord calls us here. If we reach back and attempt to cling to the things of this world for safety and security, we will never be fit for the kingdom, much like Lot's wife. They're leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and she looks back. And it's not that she simply looked back as a glance. She looked back with a longing in her heart for the things and the people that the Lord was destroying, okay, that the Lord was destroying. For Abraham, as for the believer, it's not just a separation from the things of the world, but it is a separation to the things of God. And a separation to, in a sense of, of being called out in, in holiness and sanctification. We are separated from these things so that we might be separated to the things of our Heavenly Father. Now, whenever we talk about these types of things, we have to keep in mind how the word I is used. I. Uh, I had a friend in Wilmington and always used to say, it looks like they got eye trouble over there. And if I, I looked I said, what's wrong with their eyes? He said, no, no, not eye trouble, eye trouble, okay? 
Because it's all about me. And when we focus all about me, we get into trouble. Isaiah chapter 14 talks about Satan. And he uses the word I five times. He said, I will be great. I will be exalted. And this is Satan, Satan talking about what he wants to happen to himself. And it's all about me. And, and what does the Lord do? Kicks him out. Okay. What does the Lord do in Genesis chapter 12? It's not about I in the sense of Randy or Abram. It's about I in the sense of the Lord. He says, I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will give your offspring a land. Where is Abraham's part in that? That's all the Lord. I will do this to you. I will do this for you. This is God's graciousness as he forms this nation, as he works in the heart of Abram. So, why should we who sit here today be the recipients of this great salvation? Why should we be the ones to hear the the message of Jesus Christ when there are plenty throughout the world who who have not heard it, where there is no one to proclaim these things, there there is no one to demonstrate the grace of Christ our Heavenly Father. Why were we not born in a nation where there was oppression? Why weren't we born in a, why were we born in a land where the gospel can be freely proclaimed and heard? Why was this country formed in the way that it was formed? Now how was a group of mostly untrained colonists able to defeat the greatest army and navy in the world at that time? Could it be that Patrick Henry hit it on the head when he said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. It's the very nature of who we are and what we were founded on that we might have freedom. Freedom in all of these areas and freedom to worship. There are people who are worshiping and don't believe like we do, but they are free to do that in this nation. Why? Because it was founded on these types of principles. The difference between the revolution in this country and the revolution of France, not just the guillotine, okay, but what was it, liberty, egalitarianism and bread or something like that, I don't know. But it was a humanist revolution. It was not a revolution built upon the things and the, those principles the, as broad as they were of the gospel of Christ. It was built purely on the wisdom of man, and it deteriorated into anarchy and death very quickly. Now, Americans are not God's chosen people. I know that might be a blow to some of us, but we are not God's chosen people. But America was formed by many who were chosen by God, many who were whose lives had been changed by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Never forget that we are not Americans who have happened to pick this faith to practice, but we are Christians whom God has sovereignly placed here in this nation that we might be a blessing to those around us. We have been blessed, just like Abraham, to be a blessing to those around us. George Washington, our first president, writes often of his faith and of the hand of providence. And in one of his addresses, he wrote, 
while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we look around at the world in which we have been born into and the community in which we have born, been born into and this country. And it doesn't take very long to look at the rest of the world and say, why us here? Why have we been born in a place where there are freedoms? Why have we been born and placed in this situation? The only answer that that we can really come up with is that in the same sense that you called Abraham out of of paganism and idolatry and, and there was nothing within him that was worthy of your grace, the same is for us. There is nothing within us that is worthy of your grace, but you have sovereignly placed us here, changed our hearts, and now you call us to live in a fashion that is pleasing to you, that we would bless those around us. Lord, that you have poured into us this wonderful grace of Jesus Christ so that it may flow from us, flow from the work of our hands and the the proclamation of our mouths, so that we might speak words of encouragement and blessing, so that the gospel might be heard, that we might serve those around us and reach out in acts of compassion and mercy to the least of these. Lord, you have placed us here in this relatively safe environment so that we might live these things out boldly so that we would not shrink back we must live these things in this land of freedom Lord come upon us today remind us of these things especially on this weekend fix them in our hearts the sacrifice of so many others that enables us to be here today that enables us to walk the street and share the things of Christ without fear of retribution, without fear of persecution. For someday in our lives or the lives of our children, there might be a time when we do not have that freedom. For we know many believers in in the rest of the world today, Lord, who cannot do those things, who cannot openly share the gospel. We pray for their, their security, but also their boldness that the things of man would not hinder their proclamation of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing number 516.